0: Hello and welcome to Motorsport Week's F1 podcast series, Motorsport Speak, the show where we discuss about the latest things happening in the world of Formula One. Sam so Ken your host alongside Tom Featherston, Jordan Haynes, and LA Wilshaw. We review the Austrian Grand Prix that took place at the weekend, as it was a triple-header clean sweep for Max Verstappen and Red Bull as they conquered the Red Bull Ring once again from pole position. Floor of damage to Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes meant he could only manage fourth behind his teammate Valtteri Bottas and fellow Brits Lando Norris, who had picked up his fourth career podium in Formula One. Hello, Tom. Hello, Jordan. Hello, LA. How are we? The Austrian Grand Prix is done now. That's the last of the triple header um, done. We've got a week or an extra week to absorb and digest everything that's happened in the last few weeks with three grand prix been happening on consecutive weekends so we begin with you how did you find the austrian grand prix
1: yeah i liked it i think it was a nice balance of um seeing some good racing some eventful racing as well uh, i thought overall verstappen looked incredible again a great weekend for norris as well proving his worth in formula 1 and yeah i think it's uh, a lot of question marks over mercedes at the moment
0: Jordan, Max Verstappen, once again, just unstoppable. It just looks as though that Red Bull can just basically have a competitive car for any circuit they can go to.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, it looks that way, doesn't it? So, I think from the get-go, I think we all knew. Turn one, that was it. No one was going to challenge him. And it's nice to see someone else taking it. But, um, yeah, he didn't have much challenges to do. So.
0: No. And most certainly didn't have too many challenges to do. La pretty much like the weekend before in the Styrian Grand Prix, and the difference obviously was the sea of orange Max Verstappen fans that rooted for him all the way through the weekend. A weekend of attendance of one hundred thirty-two thousand as well.
3: Well, hang on, I thought they were Norris fans. No, no.
0: <laughs> well, we they could well be Norris fans, but yeah, I think oh. <laughs> I think they. You could tell when the national anthem was being played that the Dutch the. Uh, the sea of orange Max Verstappen fans were singing the national anthem. Otherwise, yeah,
3: yeah. Sorry, that was just on the back of Norris's uh, interview um, post quality that he said that uh, they were his fans. So I'm not sure if you oh, saw no. that. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Obviously, most of them were, were there for uh, for Verstappen. I'm sure any McLaren fans would not have been in that uh, in that sea and you know in all that crowd. I actually thought that was wonderful uh, to show that footage on TV of everybody just sort of celebrating being together again and celebrating you know being at at a racing track and obviously celebrating the Red Bull Ring Austria and uh, Max Verstappen so yes I think that um it was you know even if he's not your team and he's not your driver I do feel like that that gave a really great feel good for every Formula One fan out there because that's kind of like you know, for British Grand Prix, you sort of think you want a British driver to win that if you're a British person. So, you know, for, for the Austrian Grand Prix, with all those Dutch people there, and I'm sure even some Belgian people there, supporting Max, how perfect. Icing on the cake.
0: Yeah, it was most, most certainly the icing on the cake. Um, so I'm with Max Verstappen doing ever so brilliantly. That's his now That's now his fourth career victory at the Rebel Ring in the last four years. His 50th career podium in Formula One and the fifteenth Grand Prix victory of his career, equaling Jensen Button. How about that?
1: Yeah, it's really impressive at the moment. Looking at the standings as well, it's—I'm um, sure we'll go into those in a minute. But yeah, it's—it's really—he's it coming into uh, into a popular little, <laughs> little uh, future world champion, maybe even this season. But I think the team's uh, bringing the upgrades, bringing everything he needs to deliver it. I think he's got a good teammate in Perez as well. I think the combination between them both, I think it's, it's what Red Bull have kind of been looking for for a few years. I know obviously the partnerships before haven't really worked for them, but I think, um, yeah, the, the timing with everything that's going on, again, being a, a home race for him at Red, uh, at the Red Bull circuit, so, okay, I think, yeah, it, it's brilliant. And yeah, like I said, with Mercedes, it's all, all on them really now. And I, I think it's definitely Red Bull's to lose at this moment.
0: Would you say it's Red Bulls to lose at the moment, Jordan? Or is it still very much about building momentum between now and the summer break? Um,
2: I'd say at the moment it's Red Bulls. Um, they are the strongest. Obviously, they've got both teammates there like participating, um, whereas Mercedes, it's mainly Lewis. Obviously, Otas isn't. There as much as he used to be, um, so it's definitely an entertaining one. And obviously, we've only got I think two races to go till summer break now, so it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens once we come back.
0: And LA, you know, Silverstone, the next race for Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, you know, this is basically the Grand Prix of their year, where they can actually turn their season around. Now that Max Verstappen has won the last three races from pole.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're not sure about what upgrades are going to be coming to the Mercedes because they sort of hinted that there wasn't anything major coming this season. Um, I'm not, I'm not too sure about um, it's Red Bulls to lose because I don't feel like Red Bull are competing with Mercedes on an equal um, footing at the moment. You know, Mercedes is very, very clearly struggling. It's not that Max and uh, Checo are first and second and Hamilton and Bottas are third and fourth. You know, there's obviously massive issues going on at Mercedes right now that they're even behind other teams. So, you know, don't obviously underestimate the Mercedes team and the fact that, you know, they have all these world championships under their belt. If that upgrade does um, work for them, then um, it will be a very equally matched season. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it should be exciting. Hopefully the British Grand Prix, you know, I mean, they limped along a little bit last year. And then obviously remember that tire incident as well, you know, that, that happened with, Lewis finishing on three tires you know and winning the race and, and Max dashing into that you know pit stop at the last minute and almost catching him at the very end and I'm sure that Max and Red Bull will be thinking about that moment and maybe their strategy for this British Grand Prix because if the upgrades work for Mercedes then Red Bull can only beat them on on some kind of clever strategy.
0: Yeah like they did so in the 70th anniversary Grand Prix last year because that was one of the two races that Silverstone had hosted for Formula One last year to help um, amass the number of races required for a Formula One World Championship and to satisfy the um, broadcasters. we go back to the Austrian Grand Prix, let's have a look at the results of its 2021 race. Max Versteppen, the race winner, fifth time this year, he has won Valtteri Bottas was second for Mercedes and Lando Norris picking up his third podium in eight races by finishing third after qualifying a brilliant second where he was less than half a tenth off Max Verstappen's pole time. Lewis Hamilton with that floor damage he picked up and a late pit stop to try and go for the fastest up, which he didn't get, end up uh, getting. He was only fourth. Carlos Sainz was fifth at the expense of Sergio Perez, who was demoted to sixth after a 10-second time penalty for two separate collisions that he was involved with with Charles Leclerc, which we'll go on to in a moment. By the way, Perez ended up sixth by the end of the race. Dan Ricciardo, decent seventh for him in McLaren then it's Charles Leclerc in eighth, Pierre Gasly for Alfa in ninth, and Fernando Alonso picking up the last point for Alpine in 10th place after overtaking George Russell at the closing stages. I'm sure Williams fans would have been agonising for George Russell to get that point, but he'll have to wait another couple of weeks at least to get his first point in Williams. Yuki Tsunoda was 12th for Alfa He picked up two penalties in the race, actually. He um, It was for the same infringement, crossing the pit entry line when he was coming in. So that pretty much cost him a chance of points. Lance Shaw was 13th ahead of Antonio Giovinazzi. Räikkönen 15th, following a 22nd time penalty for a collision with Sebastian Vettel on the last lap. Nicholas Latifi was 16th, Sebastian Vettel 17th after that collision with Räikkönen. Mick Schumacher 18th, Helen Keaton Muspin, who was also penalised for not slowing down on the wave yellows, but that didn't affect his race, finish, uh, race finishing position of 19th. Esteban Ocon was the only driver to not finish after damage he picked up on the opening lap at turn three so let's begin with Sergio Perez um, Jordan because yeah I, I don't know what it, it, there was a thing with Lando Norris earlier in the race which is another thing which we'll go on to um, in a moment or so but do you think Sergio Perez's moves with Charlotte Leclerc warranted him the, the penalty and do you think the collision with Norris had influenced the stewards' decision to give such a penalty to him? Um, I
2: think the steward is like they couldn't give one to Norris and then not to Perez. I think that was their thinking there, but then obviously he's gone and done it twice with like within a couple of laps of each other. And it's they're two completely different, like Norris's and Perez. Um Perez actually touched Leclerc so I think they're three different incidents what happened, obviously two are the same but I do think
0: it warrants him getting penalties mm-hmm. LA it was a uh, I mean with the Norris one which I have you said we'll go to in a moment but with Perez's move on Charles Leclerc both at turn four and then on the exit of turn six those were a little bit more blatant than the one with Norris which I think it did warrant Perez the penalty it's just, you know, it's very hard to call that one, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, he was on the inside line, but perhaps he should have given the clay a little bit more space.
3: Yeah, I know you said we're going to cover, you know, the other one as well. But um, I didn't see, even though there's a lot of dust kicked up, any contact uh, with Norris, um, you know, and there's obviously the argument that he was slightly ahead of him going into the corner. Um, But, you know, it's obvious that from previous years, there's, there's going to be somebody going off the track if two of them are trying to battle it out on that corner um, but regarding um you know the one with Leclerc well there were two with Leclerc and they were both quite different really um but there was contact I don't I do feel that uh, Perez should have received the penalties um not only based on what happened with Norris because obviously Norris was penalised for the first one, and it was almost like the stewards then had no choice but to do the same for Perez. Um, but I'm sure that they still would argue that they view every single incident independently, regardless of something else that's happened. So what I kind of feel that like is there was actually a little bit of consistency from the stewards in this race uh, regarding any incidents like that. Um, but yeah, I thought I felt that Perez deserved them, um, you know, and it was just such a shame. It, it's almost well, I'll tell you what the shame is <laughs> is that the powers that be are going on about wanting more wheel-to-wheel racing, you know, and and Formula One struggled for that kind of a thing uh, for quite a few years, before DRS, before even KERS, you know, before that that appeared, Um, and so we've eventually got to some kind of competitive racing again, after years of everybody pitching into this, not just the aerodynamicists, not just the tyre manufacturer, you know, not just the circuit people, every single person is trying to attempt to make formula one wheel to wheel overtaking action and the weekend it sort of happens everybody seems to be getting penalties for it and and sitting at home not really knowing what goes on behind the scenes not really knowing much about these decisions because you know they're not my expertise I'm, I'm just a fan at the end of the day I got quite exasperated with it you know, because I've, I'm from an era of watching racing where the, where drivers weren't weren't penalised. Look how some of the world championships were won back in the day. Look, you know, Ayrton Senna, you know, Prost, in those incidents that they had together, Schumacher, Hill, Schumacher, Villeneuve, you know, and and then suddenly we're at races years later in a completely different era. And drivers are being penalised for just banging, wheel, banging wheels. And it, it's not even deliberate. You know, there's been many deliberate incidents that have happened in the past that have gone unpenalised. And then suddenly these incidents are racing incidents. Um, how did um, Horner put it, Christian Horner? Hard racing, you know, he phrased it as. And even he felt that the stewards had no choice but to give Perez the two penalties. Um, and I totally agree with Christian Horner on that.
0: Tom, your say on the um, the Paris collisions, and you know, I think this is pretty much um, this is baffling me. with the fact that we are wanting to see hard racing, we want to see wheel to wheel racing, because that's what makes Formula One the sport. It is, it's a theatre of entertainment. However, it just seems that Michael Massey, I think it's Michael Massey, been a little bit too naive with the way he's giving out these penalties here.
1: Yes, it's always been, hasn't it, about consistencies with uh, Stewards and FIA. I think it was you also looking at other in, inconsistencies in the weekend. I know it was uh, they put the rule in, didn't they, with the, the corners nine and 10 about qualifying and slowing down um, with those kind of things. And I just think it is a 50 50 incident. You want, you want hard racing, but also you want fair racing. I think in this particular instance, uh, if they didn't give a penalty for the uh, Lando Norris situation, obviously, I do believe that probably would have affected a little bit with the Perez Perez incident. The, they are slightly different as such, but overall, I think it was a fair decision. I just think there's been too many still inconsistencies with how the FIA uh, are judging things at the moment. Again, um, with the inconsistencies, I know Vettel uh, got punished as well. Um, With with that, I think uh, what a lot of Formula One fans get annoyed about, there's a lot of allegiance to certain uh, drivers and things. And I just think potentially some teams get favoured a little bit more. I know there's, how many were there? Probably 10, uh, 10 drivers who had to get summoned to the FIA during the race about incidents at the end and only three of them actually got punished for it. So I think if you're a certain team with a certain budget, you might feel, if you're at the back of the grid, uh, it's affecting you more than than you are at the front.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is this is that's another thing which we're going to is the, um, the, n- the number of drivers getting um, summoned to the stewards. Let's go to the thing with London Norris because this happened much earlier in the race, where he basically went wheel to wheel with Sergio Perez, um, LA, down at turn four, and this this what I just I just don't really understand what warrants Norris the penalty for it. I just really really don't.
3: I absolutely didn't understand. I, I think that the only understanding we got from it was um, Karun Chandok at the end, when when he was explaining about, uh, you know, Perez was was slightly ahead before the, in the breaking zone before they went into the corner, and I, I think he sort of said that's the only point of that of that incident that he could see how it, it, Norris picked up the penalty um, because it was then deemed Perez's line um, because he was slightly ahead in that breaking zone. Um, but. You know, again, and I think even Lando said at the end, you know, what, what, or somebody said at the end, apologies for maybe mixing up the people here. um, You know, what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to then, you know, just, just yield positions? Because some, because what, what drivers could potentially do is to over, you know, not brake soon enough on purpose to then look like they're slightly ahead of a corner. And then if they're pushed off, which inevitably they could and would be, to then say, hang on a minute, he needs to give me that place because I went off the track, and that's the last thing that we want, that's the last thing we need, is to drivers start manipulating how the, how they gain their places rather than gaining them fair and square in, in a wheel-to-wheel race. Um, and Lando was absolutely right when he said, you know, there was no way he was ever going to make that corner uh, Perez, there was no way he was going to get around the outside him. You know, even if Perez just slightly lost the line as, as he emerged the other side um and also lando thinks he didn't touch him there was no contact um so he didn't knock him off the track you know there have been incidents in the past at this circuit where there has been contact and penalties have have came came about but there was no contact so as a racing fan i suppose i i in a way i favor lando so you know you're right you you look at it from a different perspective because i'm sure perez fans would look at it from a completely different perspective um and say no no lando shoved him off it was his corner he should have had it so all we can do is uh, we can't change it we just have to live with it and hope that it, it it gets nipped in the bud quite quickly
0: yeah and i'm sure lando norris will feel that you know perhaps without that penalty it would have been second in the race and Tom rather than third And what does there need to be more of a clarification? Because what is deemed as a legal move to defend and what is deemed to be an illegal move, because it just seems to be the most minor of moves or the minor of defences that is not to warrant Norris, the uh, the penalty, and I I just don't really understand what makes the steward think that what Norris did was unfair, Paris should have just backed out of it and perhaps try and do a switchback
1: yeah i think if you is kind of following on from la's point really you you want the hard racing and f1 they put so much money into making it you know for younger audience or making it for a broader audience should i say and we want to see wheel to wheel we don't just want a glorified monaco at every circuit we go to and it's it's racing at the end of the day that you you go into it say if you're in Perez's position, it's a 50-50. It's your, kind of your own fault if a driver's following the racing line. It's, it's. I think it's your own fault for being brave. He was a opportun, uh, It was opportunistic in the moment to do it. It didn't pay off for him. That's his own fault. I think with Norris as well, you're looking a bit hard done by because you're saying to the stewards, FIA, everyone really, you're saying, well, I've taken the racing line here. I'm only doing my job. I got, It's not like he's exactly wheel by wheel into the move anyway. He, he's only looking at what he's trying to do. And, you know, it's it's frustrating. I, I know it's, it's certain drivers would think, yes, Perez, if you if you support Red Bull. I think even as a Red Bull fan, you would think, actually, you know, he was just making his move. I think you have to think of Formula 1 as a whole. And I think that's where Formula 1 are getting it wrong at the moment. There's too many inconsistencies uh, with the FIA. And I think overall... I don't think the drivers are going too wrong with with following the rules. And how many rules are being put in place? Again, like La was saying, I think we wanna we kind of want to go as fans. We want to see kind of less rules, obvious rules, but still certain rules in place. And you just want wheel to wheel. At the end of the day, they promote it as that, and that's what we want to see.
0: Yeah. And Jordan, you know, had there been a safety car, you know, a few after the collision, you know, that would have really tarnished um, Norris's afternoon, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think he's quite lucky as well. Um, he obviously managed to finish on the podium, which obviously is great for him and McLaren. Um, and he said himself going into the weekend that he wants to beat at least one Mercedes and a Red Bull. And he's done just that, really. So he's um, very lucky and, yeah, I think he deserves the podium.
0: And most certainly he got the podium his fourth career podium in formula one the first of which came in at the rebel ring as well so it's twice he's finished on the podium at the rebel ring Has lando norris and another thing as well which we'll talk about guys is to do with the humongous amount of uh, penalty points or drivers being summoned to the stewards i think a total of up to 11 were called to the stewards post-race so a trio of drivers had been sanctioned for indiscretions of uh, Formula 1's Austrian Grand Prix, while others have been cleared of wrongdoing. Kimi Räikkönen was being penalised for causing the, clash, uh, causing the collision with Sebastian Veckel, while Nicholas Latifi and Nikita Muspin were hit with penalties for not adhering to the subsequent double-waved yellow flags. Räikkönen clashed with Veckel through Turn 5 during the closing stages of the Red Bull Ring, sending both through the gravel, though they were able to recover to reach the chequered flag. Raikkonen was deemed culpable for the incident by the stewards, who issued a 20-second penalty in the O of a drive through while two penalty points were added to his licence. It brings his rolling 12-month, uh, 12-month tally up to six points. Mazpin and Latifi were both judged not to have slowed sufficiently in the sector, while double-wave yellow flags were shown. They were each handed 30-second time penalties in the O of a 10-second stop-and-go penalty, as well as three points on their licences. It means rookie must his up to five penalty points with Latifi on six. A gaggle of drivers who finished in the points, Carlos Sainz, Sergio Perez, Dana Ricardo, Charles Leclerc and Pierre Gasly along with Antonio Giovinazzi were also investigated but were cleared of wrongdoing. Now this reminds me guys of, this is going back 11 years ago in Valencia, where I think it was, was it nine drivers LA that were penalised for um, speeding too much under the safety car and i think nine drivers or so got five second time penalties um post race and this is just something that reminds me of it although not as many drivers got penalized for um for not sewing under double weight yellows how do you how do you sum it up with this
3: um, yeah. Um, I, I noticed that quite a few of you've right, with 11 got pulled in, um, including Josh Russell for, you know, an incident you've, you've not covered yet. You might do, I'm not sure, um, within wiggling his car around a little bit there. Um, yeah. yellow waved yellows. You have no idea what's going on that track. There could be a marshal on the track. There could be anything happening on that track and for you not to lift for you, not to be prepared to stop um, those drivers obviously weren't prepared to stop. And for, for you know, the the, do, the wave double yellows, it's one step away from the red flag um, and they are there for a reason. Um, and those drivers didn't necessarily know what that reason was, but it doesn't matter what the reason was. It matters that they were waived and they should have been penalised 100%. Yes. Um, obviously a bit of a shame to see the rookie that's mazapin is his year. Um, needs to improve, needs to start improving. um, Because I think what we don't want to see is the young rookie drivers coming into the sport, struggling to fit in, struggling to find their feet, struggling with a car that needs, needs work, Obviously, we've had the news in recent times that Mazapin's car is heavier than Mick Schumacher's car um, and he needs a new chassis, which isn't going to appear for another few races. So I, I kind of feel that the, the poor guy's on the back foot um, and he didn't come into the sport with, you know, as Mr. Popular, which again is rather unfortunate. And then he's getting all these points now on his license. And um, I don't think any of us wants to see any driver um, maybe be psyched out you know, and I'm not saying that Nikita is going to be psyched out by any of this, but, you know, let's hope he isn't. Um, let's hope that he's, we know Gunther is an amazing, amazing uh, mentor and, you know, team principal. And let's hope that, um, you know, he can uh, help Nikita to uh, gain a little bit more success this season, you know, and um, put the few first few races behind him and uh, let's let's carry on, pick up, let's carry on. Yeah.
0: Um, it was almost like you know. Remember that World Cup match, the Battle of Nuremberg, where we had sixteen players yellow carded and four players sent off. It sort of reminded me of that a little bit, but this time not as many players, uh, not as many drivers uh, getting sanctioned for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, it's, it's eventful. Um, again, it, it, we're talking about yellow flags. That's that comes into a different ball game. I think you look at the FIA and you look at certain rules that we are talking about. Um, particularly there are some at the end of the day you have to follow. Um, again, certain incidences like the Kimmy crash with uh, Vettel, they're obvious plain plane incidents as well. They they're the rules that I think everyone in Formula One, you know, there's been certain incidents that we won't really touch upon, but obviously the flags are there for a reason because there's been certain incidents why drivers need to slow down and certain conditions that you know, at the end of the day, it is a very dangerous sport. Um, that being said, yeah, I, th- I think we have touched upon the inconsistencies of the FIA, but in this case, um, yeah, I, I think there was a lapse of concentration from plenty of uh, plenty of drivers, even not just uh, the younger drivers, but the older ones as well.
0: Jordan, it was—I mean, it was—it was an unforeseeable situation, and not an instant you expect to see at that corner, you know, turn five, where. Um, Kimmy and um, Sebastian had there coming together, but I think one thing that I would say to the yellow flag incident was I don't I don't know whether drivers had set their personal best sectors because it was in sector two when it was happening. So does that confirm it? Does that confirm enough to the stewards that it's that the drivers were speeding? Because if it was not a personal best sector for the drivers to do there, then that does not warrant a penalty. The fact that the Tiffy and Massa have been, been penalised, you could say that they didn't slow down at all. But what about the other drivers? Why weren't they punished when they were summoned to the stewards for the same reason?
2: Yeah, obviously unfortunate as well for it to be on like the last lap. I don't think anyone expects something to happen like that on the last lap. Um, so it might have caught the drivers off guard. Um, but then you kind of need to be prepared for anything. Um, and especially yellow flags. So I don't know what quite went on with um, Latifi and Mazepin. Um, I would obviously, Mazepin's new to the sport, but you should know the basic rules. Um, And I think maybe it's a learning curve for everyone who got called to the steward's office. Um, But yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see if something like this happens again and see if they learn from it.
0: -hmm. And with this penalty point system as well, for your information, there are six drivers who are at least halfway to a race ban. So almost a third of the drivers on the 2021 Formula 1 grid are halfway or more towards a one race suspension after a light light knee. if that's how you pronounce it, of penalty points were distributed in Austria. Formula One drivers receive penalty points for indiscretions that occur during a Grand Prix weekend and under regulations have their license suspended for one round if they reach 12 within a 12-month period. No driver has yet fallen fell of the system since its introduction in 2014. There's been plenty of opportunity for drivers to rack up points across the past 12 months with 26 Grand Prix having taken place during that period Owing to the 2020 season being delayed by the pandemic. McLaren's Lando Norris leads the way on 10 penalty points, though two of those will be wiped from his record prior to the next track action at Silverstone. Nonetheless, the next of his subsequent eight penalty points will not be removed until mid-November. So he's better keep his nose clean from here on in. uh, Norris picked up three for a yellow flag infringement in Turkey last year, three for a red flag violation in Azerbaijan last month, and two for his incident with Sergio Perez on Sunday. Perez will also be on eight points for the next rounds, having picked up four in Austria for his two clashes with Charles Leclerc, with the next one not due to be removed until mid-August. Both Williams drivers, Aston Martin, Sebastian Vettel and Alfa Romeo's Kimi Raikkonen are on six points. George Russell will have three of his removed at the start of August, while one of Raikkonen's will be removed in a couple of weeks. However, Vettel and Latifi, who picked up three for the yellow flag violation on Sunday, will have their current tally on record, until the 2022 season. World well, champion Lewis Hamilton finished the Austria weekend on six points, but as of today, July the 5th that is, loses the four that he accrued at last year's season opening round at the venue. House rookie Nikita Maspin and Alfa Romeo's Antonio Giovinazzi are both up to five respectively, while Aston Martin's Lance Stroll and Alvatari newcomer Yuka Tsunoda are on four. Charles Leclerc on three, Valje on two, Pierre Gasly, Danny Ricciardo, Carlos Sainz and Espanakon are on one each, who are at the healthier end of the table. Championship leader, Max Versteppen, Alpine's Fernando Alonso and Haas's Mick Schumacher are currently without any penalty points. So we're into an interesting phase now, and as it stands with the current calendar, Tom, Lando Norris ideally needs to get through the next 11 races without getting any more penalty points, because the next set of penalty points don't get removed until after them.
1: Yeah, it's going to be tough for him, to be honest. I know he gets the... Uh, two points taken away, but he's he is one of those drivers that like to uh I'm not gonna say rough and ready, but he, he likes to put the cat amongst the pigeons, doesn't he? So uh yeah, it's it's gonna be tough for him. I am surprised some other drivers haven't picked more points up. I'm not gonna name too, too many names, but um, yeah, it's 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 gonna be tough for him, especially given he wants to prove himself, he wants to make those uh, brave moves into uh, and defend. Uh, certain drivers, certain positions as well. He's doing really well at the moment as well. Really breakthrough season for him uh, in, in terms of consistency and where he's put in that car compared to his teammate as well. uh It is looking good for McLaren. It would be a shame if he did pick up the points, of course. Uh, I think pretty much every neutral F1 fan loves him anyway. and loves what the team are doing. Yeah, he's just got to be really careful, hasn't he? Yeah,
0: and most certainly so, Joel. And with there being... A lot of races to come and with Norris in good form he's in fourth place in the driver's championship he won't want to be making too many errors I mean to be honest he was unfortunate with the penalty points with the collision with Perez but still I mean you, you could have sort of say oh well just start at the back and just be slow and just get through the next few races we again, getting a race run, but that's not what Norris is about he wants to be challenging in four podiums
2: yeah, well, we can all see how talented he is, obviously, finishing points every race this season. So I do think he he does need to be careful. Um, he He's quite, um, I'll say, ambitious. He goes for it on track. And I think that's where sometimes the points come from. And I think he just needs to rein it in a little bit. Not too much, but um, I think... He'll be fine if he just takes a step back. Still fighting for like points in the championship and that, but I don't think he should do too many risky things because um, he could face a race ban towards September, October time.
0: Yeah. LA, a lot of races for London to get through. I mean, <laughs> surely he's not going to be picking up a ban between now and, um, and mid-November.
3: I would hate to see that. That would be awful. But you know, as um, Jordan's just highlighted, he he doesn't take any prisoners, does he? He you know he's he's trying to find the limits of that car, um, and I'm sure it's more than helping with the development of it. Um, and and he's obviously I mean he doesn't necessarily need to find the limits within himself because you know he's quite a handy driver and he did incredibly well in his in the other feeder series. Um, so I think it'd be a tragedy. And, you know, I wouldn't put it past McLaren to even attempt some kind of an appeal from what happened with Perez over the weekend to at least see if they could reduce reduce those points a little bit. But, um, you know, if, if I was at McLaren, that's what I'd certainly be trying to do, um, you know, and take it up, take it up into the courts as well. See how far, far you can take it and, get, and at least give him a bit of a chance, because I do feel like he may perhaps commit other offences as the season's going on. On. you know again is this something that's going to affect his performance because he then becomes concerned about penalty points is it going to be something that affects the way he races uh you know not necessarily the the other sessions but once once you know the the green light comes on Is he going to be thinking about penalty points rather than attempting to get on the podium or get a race win? Let's hope not, but you don't know, do you? You know.
0: No, I I mean to be honest, I mean, I I think the problem with appealing the decision is you risk getting a worse punishment. That's the only thing. And it's the same with football as well. You know, if if you're trying to appeal a decision, you know, trying to appeal a ban, and it goes against you, you know, you can end up with a worse punishment than um, than the original one.
3: I can't see, though, how he would get a worse punishment for this um, because it it was, you know, a, a, I just can't see it <laughs> because it was it was the, the incident that it was. It's not like there was a massive, horrific accident that came from it, which I would totally agree with you. I'd be a little bit dubious about risking that, um, you know, I mean, Perez still finished a race and Perez got into a bit of trouble himself as well. So. I don't know. I'd, I'd risk it. I'd go for it.
0: Yeah. And if he can complain, I'm sure McLaren will um, get his back in as well and they can work with him to um, find a solution around it. By the way, Landon Norris will be on eight penalty points. He is currently on 10 at this moment of time, but by the time we do get to Silverstone, he will be on eight because the two points he picked up at the steering Grand Prix um, last year, not this year, um, will have expired by then. Let's have a look at the Drivers' Championship then, guys, after nine rounds of his 23-race season of 2021. Max Verstappen has extended his margin over title rival Lewis Hamilton to 32 points, 182, playing 150. In third is Sergio Perez on 104, but he's only three points clear of Lando Norris, who is on 101. Valtteri Bottas, with his best result of the season so far at the Red Bull Ring, he's on 92, then it's Charles Leclerc in sixth with 62 uh, is Seb Carlos signs is next in seventh on 60, followed by Dan Ricardo in eighth on 40. Pierre Gasly keeps hold of ninth place. He well, he's down to ninth, I, I should say. He's on 39 points. So he's doing really well this season. Is um, is Gasly? Sebastian Vettel in tenth on 30. Then it's Fernando Alonso in 11th with 20. He's finished the points in the last four races now. Has the Spaniard? Lance Stroll is 12th on 14, followed by Esteban Ocon in 13th with 12. Then it's Yuki Tsunoda in 14th with nine. Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi with one point each. George Russell, Mick Schumacher, Nikita Maspin and Nicholas Latifi have still yet to score a point this year. In the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull have a 44-point lead. That's the equivalent of a one-two plus fastest lap. So essentially, they're a whole round ahead of Mercedes. 286 points to Mercedes' 242. McLaren are third on 141, but Ferrari have closed the gap slightly, or I say slightly, the gap is 19 points between those two teams, but McLaren are ahead, crucially. Alpha are in fifth with 48, and it's Aston Martin in sixth with 44. Alpine in seventh with 32. Alpha, Mary, Alpha Romeo in eighth with two points. Williams stay ahead of Haas on comeback, with both teams yet to get off the mark this season. So, it's a good gap now that Verstappen has got Tom. 32 points, but it's Silverstone next. And bearing in mind... It's Formula 1's first ever spring qualifying race and points are on offer in that, not just in the Grand Prix itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really interesting race. I know Lewis will, Lewis will do really well. Obviously what happened with him in the the tyre incident, just managing to get it last season. Um, it was a really eventful race, wasn't it? I think we always get a good race at Silverstone. It usually has paid off for Hamilton, Um over the course of history so far i think Verstappen's a lot more mature these days and again you have you always have to look at things yes you you can go uh judge it by previous history and and how certain races perform uh, certain drivers perform in certain races but i think uh, with the momentum mercedes aren't looking they're not looking as consistent you've got bottas as well who was kind of told in this race to hold back really, to to see where Hamilton would come with it. And then they changed the strategy. Uh, I think it was like two laps, three laps later anyway. So I, I think Mercedes are, are struggling to kind of get a plan overall on their preference. You can't at the moment um, prioritise a driver, but they kind of tried to do that in this one. And I think going forward, I think Perez usually is, is pretty consistent as well um, to support Max. And I think... I just think Max is, is looking really strong at this and I think he'll, he'll want to put an upset on the cards uh, for Silverstone, that's for sure.
0: LA, Tom mentioned about priori- prioritising drivers. You saw at the Rebel ring where Bottas got held up behind Hamilton because of Hamilton's damaged um, floor. Was it the right decision for Mercedes to allow Bottas to go through? Because Norris was gaining ground on them. But I suppose finishing second and fourth is better than finishing third and fourth with Norris coming home in P2.
3: Um, Oh, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, Because, yeah, I mean, we all heard the radio calls around lap 51, did you say, uh, Bottas, you know, you're free to race Lewis. So there was obviously some kind of team order there in place um, for Lewis to be ahead. And I kind of feel like, yeah, you know, you could do with the wingman to keep Norris back, you know, from, from not doing that overtake maneuver Um, but again is that racing you know the end of the day we still want racing and even though as as big a supporter of you know Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes that I am as well as other teams don't get me wrong I'm not a a one one you know horse person um I still feel like I don't know I'm still I still always struggle with team orders a little bit you know because I'm sort of from an era where there there weren't team orders and then I saw team orders appear over the years in some of the worst possible situations Um, and so I don't really want to see that happen I don't want to see drivers necessarily deprived if they're better I mean there was a problem with the car at the end of the day so you know go racing, let's race then overtake him you know whatever happens and I'm incredibly thrilled anyway for Norris you know to have got that podium because he deserved it he des- he didn't he didn't deserve to be held back by a wingman he they all deserve to fight for their positions during that race. you know we all know the Austrian Grand Prix is one of the shortest circuits it's one of the trickiest proper racing tracks that we do have on the calendar and I think it was a, an excellent excellent show that uh that for most part you know that was put on by by the drivers for sure so yeah shame
2: that
3: I don't know I'm really I, I get torn I get torn in a way because for Mercedes you'd want you'd want to protect that position wouldn't you and certainly those points because as you've just mentioned as a constructor, uh, Mercedes are all about the constructors championship so they want as many points as they can get no matter how they get them and if it's within the regulation then use the regulation At the end of the day you're still fighting for a championship and you're fighting for everything that comes with a championship and I guess because they allowed Bottas to race and he overtook Lewis and Norris overtook Lewis then they lost out on some points so Racing at
0: the minute. Yeah, very much racing. Um, Jordan, I, I would like to ask you about the um, the fact that Mercedes gave Bottas the green light to overtake Lewis, given the damage that Lewis had on to his floor by riding over those sausage curves down at Turn One. Um, right decision, or do you think Lewis should have just you know worked a little bit harder and then Bottas do everything he can everything he can to hold um, Norris up? Um, I do think it's the
2: right decision, but only because he had damage. He wouldn't have been able to hold off Bottas, Norris. They all had pace and obviously you saw Hamilton not being able to catch Max um, because of the damage. Um, So I do think in that perspective that it was the right call. Um, But we do see from time to time that it's the wrong call with team orders and stuff like that. So I think they played it well, Mercedes, this weekend. Um, I don't think they could have got a better result, really. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yes. Right, so let's go on to some other news involving those Hamilton, in fact, and it happened during the weekend, and it's basically where he has managed to extend his contract with Mercedes to the end of 2023. So Hamilton joined Mercedes from McLaren in 2013 and has won six titles in the last seven years with the manufacturer. Hamilton only signed a one-year extension to cover 2021 in early February, but on Saturday, a fresh deal covering 2022 and 2023 were announced by the respective parties. The deal uh, means Hamilton, who will be 38 by the time his new contract expires, will have raced for Mercedes for 11 successive seasons. That's the equivalent to Michael Schumacher's stay with Ferrari all those years back. It's hard to believe it's been nearly nine years working with this incredible team, and I'm excited we're going to continue our partnership for two more years, said Hamilton. We've accomplished so much together, but we still have a lot to achieve, both on and off the track. I'm incredibly proud and grateful of how Mercedes has supported me in my drive to improve diversity and equality in our sport. They have held themselves accountable and made important strides in creating a more diverse team and inclusive environment. Thank you to all the dedicated and talented individuals at Mercedes whose hard work makes it all possible, and the board for their continue, for their continued trust in me. We're entering a new era with. Era of car, which will be challenging and exciting, and I can't wait to see what else we can achieve together. Mercedes uh, Mercedes boss Toto Wolf conveyed the importance of finalising the new deal early in the season after the nature of the protracted talks for 2021. As we enter a new era of F1 from 2022 onwards, there could be no better driver to have in our team than Lewis, said Wolf. His achievements in the sport speak for themselves, and with his experience, speed, and racecraft, he is at the peak of his powers. We are relishing the battle we have on our hands this year, and that's why we also wanted to agree this contract early so we have no distractions from the competition on track. I have always said that as long as Lewis still possesses the fire for racing, he can continue as long as he wants. I don't think this came as a surprise, to be honest with you, Tom. I think Mercedes knew that with the power that Lewis has in a race car, he's too valuable of an individual for them to think that they need someone else other than him in there.
1: Yeah, it's nice, isn't it, that we're not talking for months on end of what's going to happen to Lewis, and he ends up signing another contract. And it's nice; it's not just a, a year; it's it's for two. Uh, I think at the moment, as well, you look at Lewis. Yeah, there's always going to be teams who are going to want him, but I think it, it, most teams at the moment who you look at McLaren, they he won't go back there. They're in development themselves, to to great drivers anyway. Uh, you look at Red Bull as well. I think they've got their nice balance. You you'd never put. Hamilton and Verstappen uh, together, especially at the moment. I think there's that rivalry. Just wouldn't see it happen. Um, I think these, in a way, I think Lewis, you have to think, Mercedes are probably looking at the the rule changes. Seeing so next season, that's probably what they're looking at at the moment. You've got your budget caps, your, everything really. Um, this season, they're trying to see if they can get over the line with the less less, well, the more limited... Um, options than they've had in previous seasons as well but I think with everything the brand of Lewis Hamilton the brand of Mercedes it's working so well so far and you know as as they say if it isn't broke don't fix it just yet anyway.
0: LA I think yeah, I mean you probably say that what the Michael Schumacher Ferrari relationship was the greatest of all time but Lewis Hamilton extending his new deal to what will be now 11 years um, should you see out the deal and You know, there's still so much more to to come from him.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, his name's been associated with Mercedes, you know, don't forget for his pretty much his entire career. Um, And and that's incredible. Um, You know, I I don't think that there's any need for him to have even considered any other team there was a lot of speculation last year obviously just because of the amount of time it was taking for him to sign that contract Um, and you know I'm more than sure that he was getting many offers on the table Uh, you know don't forget you know we some of the contracts in some of the other teams went absolutely down to the wire and there were seats available um so but mercedes but mercedes to me you know it's lewis through and through and he's he's been looked after Um, by that brand and he's also done the same thing in return and he's just forever associated with Mercedes you know and you know even through his McLaren days so um, I, I was quite fascinated to have obviously we all heard we all picked up on the information that he'd been in the simulator which is something that um a lot of sort of the the top end drivers tend not to do very much of and that was quite fascinating you know we we don't obviously know the exact reasons why we can all sit here and chit chat and speculate and that could be something that's to do with the car development too because you know in your simulator you are obviously trying to get the, the, you know, most out of the the car that's simulated, but you also need your best driver, I think, in that simulator to be able to replicate as real life a situation as you possibly can. And what I like that, that happened with that is that, you know, it's like Lewis hasn't just said, no, no, I'm still not doing that. No, it's fine. You've got enough, you know, test drivers and sim drivers. You know, he's jumped into that sim himself. He obviously knows there's improvements for the car that need to be made, that he can contribute to, and there's also improvements within within himself. Um, and we don't know. Maybe he's felt a bit distracted lately because, especially last season, the drivers were incredibly isolated. Last season, they they pretty much stayed in their motorhomes for the entire season um or you know all stacked up next to each other and during some of the races this season they have um still had their motor homes and some of them have stayed in them as well and not gone to the hotels but there has been a little bit more freedom this season there has been other hotels involved and drivers have been staying in hotels and you know maybe um there's there's something in that as well the the fact that uh i think some of these drivers have felt quite isolated they've had very small bubbles around them for obvious reasons a very tight team around them and um you know even if it's lewis just getting into the factory and just getting around the people that he's with at the circuit could be something like that as well but i'm you know i'm i'm quite happy to hear that he's been in the sim
0: Jordan Lewis Hamilton extending his stay with Mercedes is um, is good news for the sport. It's good news for the fans. You know he's willing to stay. You know he's still only um, how old is he now? He, were, he was born in 1985, wasn't he? So he's 36. So you know there's still you know with him at the top of his game at the moment. You know we've seen drivers in, previously in Formula One like Nigel Mansell when he won his World Championship in 1992. He would have been 38. When he won his first and only championship so you know young or old if you're good enough and you're able to compete then you are clearly good enough and clearly Lewis is that individual
2: yeah I think age is just a number as long as you're fit to go into the car that is the main thing um and we all saw or we can all see how well Lewis is doing throughout his career um I think the Max fans was hoping that he wouldn't renew his contract because then, you know, it would be a bit easier for him. But um, Lewis doesn't give up. That's one thing that I think is admirable about him. Um, I've got to say that I was a little bit gutted that it didn't get announced at Silverstone. I was just, uh, I saw it and I was just uh, (laughs) like, it's a shame, but at least he's renewed his contract early this year.
0: Yep, and that puts... um pretty much the discussions to bed whether he will decide to go at the end of the year or the next year after. Well, guess what? He's got a contract sorted until 2023. So away from those Hamilton, we'll have a look at something at Aston Martin, because they've recruited a new head of technical operations. Uh, that is um, Andrew Alessi, who will be joining from Red Bull Racing. Now, Alessi joins Aston Martin from Red Bull Racing, where he made significant contributions to the aerodynamics departments since 2008. From July the 1st, Alessi will lead, manage and develop the design, planning, production and operations of the team's aerodynamics department at Aston Martin. I am delighted to be joining Aston Martin Cognizant Formula One team as head of technical operations, Alessi said. Like everyone in and around Formula One, I have seen and been impressed by the evident ambition of the team I am joining, led as it is now by Lawrence Stroll, who is the executive chairman. And I am very much looking forward to working with Otmar Safnar, the team principal and chief executive officer as well as the very capable technical and engineering focused members of the senior management team. Now is a fantastic time to be joining a team that is growing fast and I am ready to get stuck in straight away so as to contribute to the process of making the significant aerodynamic and operational improvements that we need in order to win consistently in the future. The announcement comes just days after Red Bull confirmed that Dan follows will leave the team at the end of his contract to join Aston Martin as technical director. Last month, Aston Martin also declared the signing of Luca Furbato from Alfa Romeo, who joins the team as its engineering director. Two weeks ago, we announced the hiring of Luca Furbato as our new engineering director, who will start work for us in due course, said Safnauer. Last week, Dan Fellows's forthcoming arrival is our new technical director, was also made public. Today, or at the time when the announcement was made, which was on July the 1st, Andrew Alessi is added to the impressive list of our senior technical engineering hirings as head of technical operations. Ours is a great team and it always has been. Many times this year we have said, the team has always punched above its weight. Now it has the weight with with which to punch harder. That is absolutely true. And expert and experienced new arrivals, such as Luca, Dan, and, and now Andrew, represent proof that we are building the technical engineering strength in depth that we need in order to deliver that harder punch. Well, 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 it seems as though that uh, Aston Martin continuing their sort of transfer um, activity, Tom, I'm sure you're very well familiar with the football side sort of things. So we've got two coming in from Red Bull and one already there from Alfa Romeo. And this looks like promising signs for the Aston Martin team who were rebranded this year from what was the Racing Point outfit. You have to say, this is only good news for the team.
1: Yeah, of course. I think they've now got the, they've been in Formula One rebranded several times and you look at what they're trying to do. Um, I know there's been loads of accusations about trying to copy uh, Mercedes and, you know, you, it, it's, I, I'm not going to use the word stealing because at the end of the day, you're just recruiting people who are there to be recruited. But um, I think a lot of people can see what they're trying to do. They, they're trying to use their resources and and make themselves, I guess, into what mercedes were when they came it re-came into the sport really and um you, you're trying to put the the money on the right people and again unless known uh for his development with red Bull as well and uh the aerodynamics of cars and if you're getting these people on board i can only see it being a good thing and it will frustrate a lot of people i know um especially with the team themselves as aston martin there's D- d- loads of uh, well, several F1 teams as well, looking over their shoulders and, uh, and not really happy with what they're trying to do at the moment. But I, d- I think it's a good thing. I think competition is always good in Formula One. I like what they're doing. Um, I think they've got the good drivers at the moment, and yeah, I, I only see it being a strong, uh, strong fit for them.
0: Yeah. La Aston Martin in the beginning of the season just seemed to have struggled with the um, the floor designs because, if you remember, back at the Um, The Bahrain test. I think it might be actually the demo they did, then the Bahrain test, and then the Grand Prix itself, because they used three different chassis, if you remember. Now they've got someone in the aerodynamics department, um, head of technical uh, operator, and they've only got a technical director, I think, there as well. So this can only be good news for the team um, in the long term.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that what we also can't um, ignore is the fact that other teams are, you know, they do switch personnel, they do switch staff, um, although Alessi is very, very high up in in the game. I think Red Bull just recently took somebody from from Mercedes, you know, and I'm sure that will make a difference to the Mercedes team. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I I absolutely, you know, agree with Tom. I love what Aston Martin are are trying to do at the moment. Um, They've definitely maximised... every bit of intel that they've received over the last you know couple of years um, or even when they're a racing point. And um I'm quite excited to see what they'll do they're, they're they're almost they're up there I mean you know look Sebastian got got a podium uh, the, the race before they're almost up there they're, they're this close. Um, and it's not only though the the aerodynamics but obviously we all know that that makes some of the biggest differences to the car um, because there can be perhaps little issues with the car but if the aerodynamics are a certain way that can compensate um so, So I'm I'm very excited uh, about Aston Martin's future and can only see them getting onto that podium within possibly the next couple of seasons on a more, you know, frequent and, and regular occasion. And certainly, you know, I think there's going to be a massive shift, isn't there? Um, what the problem's been, I think, over the years as fans is there might only have been one or two top teams at any one time, um, you know, in recent times. And, you know, you've either had, you know, you had McLaren, you had Ferrari, then you had Mercedes and you had Red Bull then Mercedes of, of the last few eras. Um, and now, you know, it looks like we might get McLaren back again and Aston Martin, you know, up there. And I, I don't like to see formula one teams succeed just because the other teams aren't necessarily doing that well i don't mind who wins constructor championships you know i'm very excited for all of them to be excelling at, at everything they're doing and they're absolutely battling on track you know but there are there are other issues that obviously happen in the team with aston martin we talked about it last last um, podcast, you know, about a uh, Lance Stroll's qualifying session, um, and you know there was they have to have other things right. You know, they need to qualify better in the first instance to even have a fighting chance on track. So they're not trying to, you know, make their way up. It, you can argue that with Vettel and what happened with Kimmy. You know, if he wasn't that far down the track, would that have even have happened? So you need to qualify better in the first instance. um And that's not only down to aerodynamics. You know, that's down to, to other reasons too.
0: And Jordan, you know, this is recruitment of um, Aston Martins, you know, this for me with the project of their 2022 car very much on the way behind the scenes we don't know what exactly is going on there but understandably so yeah this i have to say you know the signing of this guy who's been involved with red bull for ever so long 13 years in fact so all the way through from when they first won their first uh their major grand prix in 2009 up to now or well, a few days ago before um he's been announced as the new head of technical operations at aston martin from one team. You have to say his influence must generate the team further.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think it will help Aston Martin a lot. Um, They're clearly lacking in some departments and they're just trying to expand on what they've currently got ready for next year and the years after, which is a positive sign because it shows that they want to be in the sport for a long time to come. Um, So I do think things... We'll be going in the right direction for Aston Martin once they've got things like our full package together. Um, but yeah, it's it, I'd say it's a good move from them, especially from Red Bull as well.
0: So now we've done Austria, we want to sort of maybe go to, well, let's just talk about Silverstone because that's obviously the next um, Grand Prix to come up. And I suppose the good news guys, uh, we'll begin with you, um, LA, 140,000 fans able to turn up, which is expected to be the day before um, all legal restrictions within the UK um, easing and this must be an exciting atmosphere because this I think is part of the um, events research programme um, for the government but in terms of the Grand Prix itself I think we could be in for one of the races of the year.
3: Yeah, I don't know about being excited, I think I'm a little bit nervous about being a guinea pig, Um, you know, because I'm I'm in attendance, I have a a ticket to be a spectator over the whole weekend, Um, but I am double vaccinated, Um, you know, I was double vaccinated quite a few number of weeks ago um and um so i know it's no absolute guarantee you're not going to um get this um you know this this illness but there has been obviously recent um emails sent out that you either have to have proof that you've been double vaccinated or that you have to have had a lateral flow test an official nhs lateral flow test before you can be allowed entry um i'm not really sure how that's how that's going to happen or occur or be feasible, you know, because we, I don't know, would there be people that maybe would test positive um, and um, have somebody else take a lateral flow test for them and then just take the little thing and say, look, it's negative. I, I don't know. I, I, I think from f- uh, football events, they were, they were tested at the actual ground before they were allowed through the gates uh, on some matches anyway. So, um, but 140,000 people, you're not gonna be able to do that on the gates at Silverstone. It would take them uh, 24 hours to get through the gates. So that's not uh, logistically possible. So I'm nervous, but very excited. Uh, to be amongst that many people again. I think I'm going to have to let you know on the podcast afterwards how how I feel about that one <laughs> and see how scary it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you can tell us how scary it was by the time you do come on um, on July the 19th anyway. Um, Tom, obviously Silverstone, one of the most anticipated. Obviously, we weren't able to um, have fans there last year. Um, but now this year, given that a lot of people that had tickets for last year's event before the pandemic intervened, you have to think this is something of which Silverstone has to give back. And it only seems like a financial decision as well to me, not just the fact that, you know, it's part of the events research programme that's been set out by the government, but it seems as though that, you know, it's either get full capacity or we can end up as a company going bust.
1: Yeah. I think it's something they've, you know, it's, it's the, the economics of formula one and, and everything they do we trying to keep Formula 1 going. I think you have to kind of weigh certain situations and and certain things, you know, you, you have to have a balance in that. But also, uh, at the end of the day, sometimes these things, I'm not going to get into the too much politics of COVID uh, and, you know, pandemic things by any means, but I I think people are excited. We've seen with what happens in other sports like the Euros at the moment with Wembley and, uh, you know, test events like that. And I think if the restrictions are happening anyway, um, again, it is going to benefit Formula One. There's going to be a massive emphasis on how um, Formula One themselves as a body and Silverstone uh, actually go ahead with the event. I think um, I'm not going to attend it, but hopefully LA has a fantastic time. But I just think with the organisation, how they do things, um I think it w- it's just going to be a great event, really. Hopefully it doesn't come down too much to focus in on the pandemic side of things and hopefully it's just going to be a great success. And, you know, you have to do these kind of events to see how things are going to go. And at some point, we're going to have to get into um, to make that happen. And fortunately for F1 fans, that is going to happen, who they're actually going to get back to see live uh, Formula 1 racing in the UK.
0: Yeah. And Jordan, of course, let's not forget one qualifying it's going to be held on the Friday late afternoon the spring qualifying race on the Saturday afternoon and that's going to be quite something different particularly for LA who will be going to it
2: yeah well I'm actually going to it as well for the whole week. Uh, yeah so I'm looking forward to it I think especially with the new layout of the weekend I think um, it's going to be good but like LA said we're guinea pigs um, and there's going to be a lot of guinea pigs there as well so it's it's going to be interesting but then it's going to be exciting the biggest event since march 2020 in the uk um so i think i think everyone's just going to be excited that we can be there and obviously the drivers the british drivers anyway will be even more happier um i know hamilton said he's a bit like sceptical i think that's the word um about having so
0: many fans there but he said he's happy to at least have some okay let's do our predictions for the weekend well say the weekend it's that we'll be for the weekend in fact no we'll save that for next week actually because um we've got our british grand prix preview show anyway but um what what, what do you think could happen then um tom for silverstone because who do you think our is going to be able to challenge for the victory realistically
1: yeah i think they can i think um last last season was you know it it was a great race Verstappen finished second on that one and it was it it all came down to the wire in terms of Bottas having to retire with his issues and you've got Hamilton with his I think it's going to be closer than the uh, Austrian Grand Prix I think that's for sure I think it does come into Um, you know home races like for Lando Norris I think that it does come into uh, you know come to fruition and I think it is a plays a massive uh, part of a race uh, a races weekend so I think yeah Hamilton I think hopefully he'll have a good weekend I I want it to be tight anyway I think he if, if he'll finish top two that's my prediction
0: um, Jordan, of course you've mentioned that you're going through it, is it going to be Hamilton's day at Silverstone or do you think Verstappen will still be the favourite going there? Because Mercedes you would think are going to need to bring any kind of upgrade possible um, to the circuit, it is their home track as the Brackley base is over there and of course it's Lewis's home um, round.
2: Um, I'd like to think that Mercedes and Lewis can bring something new to Silverstone and hopefully put the past few races behind them and maybe surprise everyone um but I'm still a bit thinking that Max could beat Lewis on obviously his home track so it's just a bit it's it's going to be an interesting weekend I think
0: mm-hmm. well the thing is um LA Hamilton and Verstappen both won at Silverstone last year Who's going to prevail this time? I mean, Bottas has yet to win at Silverstone, but he has taken pole there before. Um, Lando Norris or George Russell? I mean, George Russell came close to finishing the points. um, Well, George Russell came close to finishing the points. Lando Norris um, finished on the podium in Austria. Is this going to be the venue where Russell collects his first points as a Williams driver?
3: I'm glad you've mentioned him because I was going to mention him anyway, because we've barely touched on him really, have we? Um, Absolutely. You know, we know that that Williams car is doing so much better. And, um with George Russell behind the wheel of that car he will maximize everything he can from that car it, what a wonderful exciting driver he is and he's very very underestimated with with you know being at the back of of the field for such a long time you know and um we all saw what he could do in Sakia what he could do with that car and he didn't even know what he was doing with it you know we all saw that weekend that he, he was struggling even to know where buttons were were. and then he said it over the weekend in an interview um you know over the austrian weekend there how much he didn't even understand his steering wheel and all the buttons he had to push imagine in a car where he does you know and um is it, it do they sort of say that it, a home race can bring sort of half a second per lap so obviously is is that what he say is that yeah, right
0: that's what, well, well that's what sterling moss would have said um, back in his day when um, i remember in 1988 where Nigel Mansell finished second in a Williams Judd because they were running normally aspirated Judd engines that year that were absolutely unreliable but believe it or not that British Grand Prix result was one of only two race finishes that Nigel Mansell had that year but when Sir Sterling Moss mentioned it in the review for 1988 in terms of how much time he gained per lap would have been an extra half a second with the crowd support that's
3: that's exactly what I'm referring to then yeah that's that quote that's that statement isn't it so you know we obviously have then George who's going to hopefully gain that half a second we've got Lando in that amazing McLaren right now with the McLaren team a home team and of course despite the problems that Mercedes are having it's their home race you know they're only up the road but again don't discount those Aston Martins they're that close to the circuit that they just put their arm out the window they can almost touch the gate you know they can have their own little road underneath the main road there just to get into the circuit they're, they're even closer than Mercedes um so you know the, the Aston Martins might do very very well there as well um and but but who knows it's Great Britain it could rain you know and and it probably will because I'm in a grandstand with that's open so with my luck I'm going to be rained upon and um and, and that would be great for the race won't it
0: yeah, for sure i'm just looking at some um, toaster stuff if that's how you pronounced it or toaster i can't remember how you actually pronounce it but that's where silverstone is based looking at the weather it's only showing up to the wednesday of next week so i can't really share anything in regards to the weather so far but if it is going to rain it's going to be more probable it will do of its forecast rain it's most likely it is going to rain because it's not located in the mountains it's located in the countryside so but yeah maybe some rain could spice things up um I'm not saying it's going to be something like 1998 or 2008, but maybe a little bit of rain could spice things up a little bit. That could be what um, brings Mercedes back into it a little bit more. But rebel team, the rebel seems to go well in wet conditions. Anyhow, with Verstappen behind the wheel, so will that be an equaliser? Should the rain come? We're not too sure, but we'll find out um, when we are closer to the time. Anyhow, we'll leave it there, folks. Thank you to everyone joining the podcast for today. Next week, La will be back with me along with Ed Spencer and Manana Manatow. Uh, to preview the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. So, from LA, Tom, Jordan, and all of us at Motorsport Week, it's goodbye. <laughs>